Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today's episode of Daily Horror Habit, my guests and I are howling the good word about Neil Marshall's action-packed lycanthropy debut film, 2002's Dog Soldiers. Following a squad of soldiers whose routine training exercise quickly goes foobar as they're attacked by a pack of ferocious werewolves. Now taking refuge in a remote farmhouse, the soldiers' training is put to the test as they repel a siege from their fanged foes. And joining me today to talk all things dog soldiers is returning friend of the show, film writer Christian Valentin, who you can follow on Twitter at GenreFilmAddict and on Letterboxd at More underscore Badass. And without further ado, here's our conversation on Dog Soldiers. Christian, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, great to be back. I had a great time talking. Oh, it's the last time we talked about crawling. You think more excited to be talking about dog soldiers. We had not only a great chat last time, but also it kind of got me thinking more about creature features and kind of my love of that genre. And that sort of got me starting to think about like other monster movies that I really love that I haven't revisited in a while. So when you said you wanted to watch uh, and talk about dog soldiers, I mean, that came back from the heyday of my uh, adolescence in terms of just like the movies that were in my rotation and like kind of wheelhouse that I was watching on repeat and Dog Soldiers was uh, at the top of that list. Yes, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the one I watched a lot, a lot when I was back then, with, I would have been like 14, 13 around then. So that was definitely like a, one of those movies that was definitely part of my childhood. Yeah, that was one of the ones where uh, it was always on like Sci-Fi Channel. And I guess I learned just recently that they had bought the mm-hmm. rights to it. So that's obviously why, like it didn't have a theatrical run, but kind of when I was a kid, it was what was on TV is what I was watching. I didn't like go to the video rental store or whatever that often. So it was definitely one of those that I think I had on like a shoddy VHS copy of it because I recorded it off a of TV mm-hmm. and just kind of like watched that until the tape <laughs> essentially fell apart uh, just because it was it was so unlike anything else at the time that I was watching, right? I mean, when I came to a lot of different types mm-hmm. of monster movies, it was very much sort of like, this is a werewolf movie. This is a vampire movie. This is a zombie movie. But Dog Soldiers is so different because it's such a blending and a hybrid of so many different types of movies that it really mm-hmm. is unlike anything else to a certain extent. I mean, at least within the uh, werewolf subgenre. Yeah, it's Lighted Living Dead with Werewolves. <laughs> exactly. And so in thinking about how this movie clicks so much for us, I'm interested, what was kind of your first exposure to the werewolf subgenre? It probably was, no, it probably Van Helsing, the the, mm. the, 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 the one with uh, Hugh Jackman. Yep. Probably that movie and Dog Children are like the big ones that got me really into werewolves at that age. When it was, mm. I was probably been a young teen around then. And for the werewolves in Van Helsing were like my favorite design for a while. They were like, they really the big, they weren't the, they weren't the wolf men. They were the huge hulking, you know, wolf creatures. And then Dog Children just takes that and just does it as an action movie. <laughs> you know, lean, mean, werewolf action movie. So it's so my so alley. What was so surprising on this most recent rewatch was just how uh, simplistic the movie is, and yet how it excels at everything that it sets out to in a way that is super memorable and holds up really well. I mean, you can literally write out the plot of the movie in like a handful of words, right? It's a training exercise that goes wrong. It's men versus werewolves or soldiers versus werewolves. Mm-hmm. And I think that <laughs> that is definitely a sign of somebody that is a fan of sort of simplistic movies, but then almost sort of like outperforming expectations of that premise because for somebody that's not necessarily let's say like a monster movie fan or something to that extent they might be like well it's man versus werewolves but the ways in which neil marshall is able to really make it uh gallows humor have awesome gore and action and horror centric but then there's a lot of levity to the movie mm-hmm. it's just a very surprising amalgamation of so many different genre types that it feels very unique and unlike anything else you've seen, whether it be a werewolf movie or just in terms of like action horror. You say that because I watched through all his, you know, Marshall's movies before mm-hmm. I went back to Dog Soldiers. And you can see that trend of, you know, the succinct characterization, the dark humor, the the practical gore. It's all, it's all there from the start with Dog Soldiers. I know mm-hmm. he would improve on the characterization in, in The Set and Doomsday was all just crazy gore and pulpy action, but it's all there in Dog Soldiers having to start. Yeah, it's really remarkable how you look at this film and right out the gate, he is so strong at these core elements, like you just mentioned, that really became mm-hmm. part of his 
filmmaking vernacular and we'll kind of get into like how he has evolved with those different kind of traits that he kind of uh, resides with. Cause we definitely, uh, I think we have some opinions about his more recent films that we can get into. But oh, oh yeah. <laughs> right out of the gate, just seeing how Dog Soldiers serves as the blueprint for his sensibilities and his style and the things that he excels at is really remarkable. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're looking at Dog Soldiers into the descent, they're two completely different types of films. And yet they are very much sort of the heightened extrapolation of one another in terms of just like crazy gore, suspense, there's still levity, there's characters that are very simplistic, but you know enough about them that you start to care for them. Mm -hmm. And again, very simple concepts, but it, he executes on it at such a high level that you're, it doesn't matter that they're simple because they're so stellar at what they actually set out to do. That's one thing that really stood out to me, just rewatch. That's because I've never seen Dogs uh, The Descent with how well he gives his character a sense of personality. Even, even like in the beginning with the team when they're first dropped into the forest and they're bantering back and forth then they have the the, the they're to take a break later during when during their uh excursion and really get to know them that mind you of uh the descent we're also in the beginning they have where we get to see the all the women together and really you get to get to know the characters so that's something that he's carried through to terms of horror through through his movies absolutely and that's an element again where just because it's simplistic doesn't mean it needs to feel like an afterthought, right? Mm. And that's something that has held up remarkably well with Dog Soldiers. I was surprised because, I don't know, when I, when I was a kid, a lot of the sort of like squad banter quips back and forth when they're busting each other's balls and they're sort of like one of them is going on and on about the soccer match he's missing uh -huh. and then talking about, well, if Little Red Riding Hood shows up with a bazooka and a bad attitude, I expect you to chin the bitch. Like little <laughs> lines like that, when you're a kid, of course, they're going to make you laugh and resonate, but still... I feel that a lot of the dialogue with the soldiers has aged really well mm -hmm. and just, it's very simplistic. It's not overkill, right? You, every other line is not a quip. I feel like a lot of the times when you're trying to do stuff like that or that approach with certain characters, it's like, please just shut up for a minute. I get it, you're supposed to be the funny guy, right? Mm -hmm. But everybody kind of has their moment to have this little witty banter and then we're back into blending into a different one of his sort of genre influences. We're either setting up for a horror moment or setting up for a more like action oriented moment. Mm -hmm. And that balance is just remarkable for a movie that I have not revisited as much as I should. And I'm really excited to get, kind of get down to it with uh, with you today. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that moves fast, but it always takes the time to, you know, establish the character or atmosphere, which is a more, I always find that's a good mark of a, a top notch acting horror movie. And Dog Soldiers fills, fills out that checklist all through and through. Absolutely. And in kind of talking about Neil Marshall's career as a whole, I mean, he starts so strong with Dog Soldiers, obviously, and then The Descent, fantastic. Mm. And then even Doomsday, I think, is a, he's doing a lot more, and it's probably the biggest scale in terms of a film that he had made at that point, mm -hmm. just be, in terms of like the set pieces and how, again, it's this very uh, amalgamation of things. It's very pulpy action, some horror sprinkled in. Uh, some humor and levity again. Um, but then sort of seeing where he goes with his most two recent films and how those are so much bigger than those original three. I don't know, You can you speak to that a little bit and just how his style has adapted to a larger scale? Because you just revisited Hellboy and The Reckoning, I believe, right? Well, don't forget Centurion, which is also also kind of like that dog soldier's mold where it's soldiers and they're being hunted and in the forest. It's kind of like his period version of dog soldiers in a way. But yeah, I don't know. Between Centurion was the movie he did before getting to TV. And then mm. I don't know what happened. Because <laughs> Hellboy, it's, you could see bits of his, his style there. For example, I don't know if you saw Hellboy, but the, yeah, pig, I did, I did the, see. the pig man creature in that movie, basically mm -hmm. just like the dog soldiers werewolves evolved. So you can definitely see his yeah. practical effects there and the gore and everything. And the team, you have the team in that movie, and you kind of have mm -hmm. the banter back and forth, but <laughs> it's still kind of a mess. And then, and then the reckoning, it's, there are moments in that where it's definitely 100% Neil Marshall, like the end is like full on, it's, it's a witch, like a witch hunt, witchcraft movie, but the end it turns into a pulpy action movie, where it's like everything's on fire and blunderbusses, it's like, like doomsday almost. And then the first, <laughs> and then the first half also has some moments which full on, horror action and the plague mask uh stalkers and, and the forest but i but yeah it's nowhere near his prime 
So I think that's interesting and then seeing how as his films got bigger and bigger in scale and scope that the quality, I think that's a fair, it's a fair statement to make, the quality definitely takes a nosedive. And so in thinking about that and applying it to Dog Soldiers, Dog Soldiers is structured almost like a reverse pyramid in terms of scale when mm -hmm, you think about mm -hmm. it, right? They yep. kind of start from the sprawling wilderness where the soldiers drop, they land, they realize, hey, there's something going amiss here. It's no longer a training exercise. We're fighting for our lives, getting chased. But then it goes from the sprawling woods to the house. But then even the way that he explores the house that they're in, this cottage mm -hmm. they take refuge in, where the film essentially changes into a siege film. Yeah. Um, and like you had referenced earlier, Night of the Living Dead, it goes from kind of like larger uh, sh or wider shots of rooms, but then we're in like the corridors and we yes, get these awesome yeah. CQC moments. And then the film literally ends with the two survivors in a closet. And so the film literally, like, again, like I said, from a pyramid down, the scale gets smaller and smaller. And I feel that it gets, his vision gets more and more refined. And it really allows his emphasis on like top-notch practical gore action. And then his blending again of like the levity and the humor and especially Gallo's humor into those action moments is really phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And it, it holds up exceedingly well. And I think that's almost putting it lightly. I think one thing that Neil Marker always signed at was geography. And, and throughout the whole movie, he's establishing the layout of the house. So when they finally come in, in the last act, it's like, you know, you know, the setup, the layout of the house. And then he really uses that interior as almost like a second battleground once the werewolves are inside. And then also like he's exploring spaces you didn't even realize were there, but as you might have thought were there, but we you know, we're going between the walls and into the crawl spaces and closets and stuff. So he really uses the claustrophobic face of the house in a, from, from start out in the seeds manner and turn, then it turns into like in how home invasion by the end. So, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, just in thinking about his handling of werewolves, I really can't compare dog soldiers to any other werewolf movies in the sense of the way that he utilizes them. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it has a lot to do with like the action centric nature of the film, but the movie itself, when you think about dog soldiers, do you think about it primarily as a horror movie or do you think about it as an action movie? Cause it's obviously a blending of the two throughout, but in your mind, what kind of resonates maybe the most stylistically? Definitely the action one in the heart. Actually, funny you brought that up, because I just I just watched a bunch of other werewolf movies, watched the Howling and uh, Bad Moon and stuff. Compared to oh, nice. compared to Dog Soldiers, one thing that stood out to me in, in the movie was how they how when Maggie is talking about how they're the, the werewolves are planning too, and they're they're so they're watching you just like you would be if you were in their position, and they turns it into from a horror movie into like a tactical bat tactical battle team two spec ops team pretty much. So that did really reframe it from creature beast in the forest to two highly trained forces trying to outfl outflank each other and outmaneuver each other there's that scene early on when one of the spec ops soldiers is like looking through the woods with night vision right and then it cuts between his green night vision perspective mm -hmm. and then we see the werewolf's perspective where it's white it's black and white yeah and that i love that scene and especially later when we have the squad being chased by the werewolves and it's the camera is moving in this very kind of like brisk fluid motion <laughs> to give you the perspective of the werewolves. As very, if uh, very rainy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Very, very rainy. Um, and I just love that use of the perspective and the black and white mm -hmm. and kind of contrasting the two. And it shows you, yeah, I agree totally with what you're saying in terms of it's not really man versus beast. It's two tactical units operating against one another. And that ebb and flow between those two quote unquote teams, especially the more that the kind of action oriented siege combat happens mm -hmm. in the second half of the film, that just gets exemplified in a way that makes that movie so engaging in a way that again, it allows Marshall to really delve into all of his different genre influences in a way that makes this film again, like not to sort of oversell the movie, but it really doesn't feel like any other werewolf movie. And I think that that's a big deal when especially kind of maybe more general audiences will say like, well, it's another werewolf movie, but this movie is really unlike most werewolf movies. And that kind of identity holds up so incredibly well all these years later. Again, it's like, I'm probably gonna say it five more times. I can't believe it's taken me this long to revisit it because it is so different and it is so refined at what it sets out to be. Well, it reminds me a bit of 38 of Night and how a lot of vampire mm -hmm. movies 
about the curse and the struggle with the, the vampirism and loss of one humanity, loss of one's humanity. And then he decided, like, no, this is predators versus humans, and you're being hunted and you have to survive. And Dolph <laughs> does, does the same thing in terms of usually when you think of werewolf movies and the Wolfman, it's about uh, the same thing that the beast within and and uh, struggling with your humanity and and uh, fight, fighting the chains. And here's now it's tactical team versus oh, like in tactical team, go, <laughs> go. and it's just just full on action horror using that that concept. Yeah, and I love how Marshall really avoids a lot of the sort of narrative trappings of werewolf films, whether or not like the individual werewolf films are successful at it. But again, it's never really about people like fighting against changing or we never kind of get those sort of like predictable werewolf beats in a lot of ways it's very much like this is the scenario we're in and there's no getting out of it and our backs are against the wall and that's where the the action focus of the film really kicks off it's like we're not going to worry about that other stuff we're going to worry about surviving and shooting at werewolves and then hopefully they don't like shoot back at us with our own shotguns too often <laughs> well it's funny because usually the transformation is such a big part of the werewolf movie <laughs> this movie does skip it all together and just to focus on the beast the creatures which i think is well, what's a sign of smart use of budget, but also focuses purely on the humans versus creatures rather than having the transformation, which is usually such a key part of the werewolf movie. Yeah, I think I had read in one of the commentaries that Marshall gave of the film that he said that he deliberately did that, like you had said, because of the budget. And that's why there's that scene at the end when uh, the spec ops captain, I believe Ryan, like he ducks down behind the table and <laughs> the, it very yeah. deliberately is just lingering on the wooden table and he's behind it. Mm -hmm. And then when he stands up, of course, he is fully transformed. <laughs> and like you had said, that's a brilliant use of budget because even for 2002, I think it was what a 2 million pound budget that the movie had, like that's nothing. And the yeah. weight and the reality that the werewolves and the practical effects oh look God. as yes. good as they do, yes. I mean, Part of it is the practical effects, of course, but then also I had read that Marshall deliberately built the cottage in a way that the werewolves would have to duck a lot. And they're so imposing mm -hmm. in a way that makes them terrifying in a way that I've never seen another werewolf movie do. It, Generally, yeah. the transformation is terrifying, right? You think about like American Werewolf in London or something. You see this horrific motion where this guy's like body is literally changing before mm -hmm. our eyes. And now it's just these towering figures that make you feel like a child almost that really makes this movie quite terrifying considering how strong the action uh, element is. Yeah, there's so, there's so many shots of them from a, I'll say, upward angle that really emphasizes the height. And then when they're in the house, they have such a weird lanky movement, which almost like, more like a demon, like a demon than a werewolf, where they're like, the very gang, uh, gangly body movement is very weird. Compared to like, mm -hmm. for example, this sort of bad moon, and that thing is like a big savage, animal while well, here they're very almost uh very leaf and and uh flexible which is very odd but it works really well for them almost it, it gives them that human quality almost right because how many times you watch a werewolf movie and it's them like running on all fours and jumping and leaping and all these things mm -hmm. but a lot of the interior shots of the film obviously because of that space and how claustrophobic it gets mm -hmm. it is them walking on their hind legs in a way that makes them seem if you could say like werewolves are otherworldly, like it makes them seem like they're almost more than werewolves as if they're like possessed to a certain degree. Um, I had read also that part of the reason for their sort of uh, their body movements was that they, instead of stunt people, I guess they had hired, I believe it was ballerinas or dancers mm, to kind of capture those, mo those movements that, that in definitely. a way that is almost sort of like trance-like because it's like they look very methodical in how they move. Mm -hmm which is interesting considering how chaotic the action can feel. And then the creature that you're fighting is so particular in its movements. That's a really nice contrast or uh, engage, uh, engaging contrast, I think. Yeah, I can definitely see the that uh, ba uh, the ballet fluidity in their movement. That is really what sells sort of like evolution of all the action, right? Because it starts with the, the squad being chased, but then once it's kind of like the siege moment and you see the claws and stuff coming through the walls and grabbing people, it's very much what you expect. But then once you get to the interior close combat fights and they start moving like people, it adds this a lot more sort of, uh, not just intensity, but like you had said, the fluidity of it. It makes it very much more immediate. Mm -hmm. It makes it seem like, well, they're not just sort of like at the door anymore. They're literally inside 
and the way that they're filmed and being so imposing, like they take up almost the entire frame sometimes and you're looking down at them uh, is really quite affecting. And it makes the werewolves terrifying in a way that again, like maybe it's just me, but when I watch a lot of monster movies, I don't necessarily describe something like werewolf as terrifying, but sort of that, that fluid motion paired with their sort of like human uh, movements is just very, very disturbing in a way that not a lot of werewolf movies are to this day. Well, I think telling all the most terrible visuals of them is when, not when they're moving really, but when those shots of them, for example, uh, the first time we see one clearly with the silhouette and the, mm. the breath, the breath coming out is like, it, those shots really solidify the things that they're imposing nature compared to the, to the, to our tactical team, which is all like, panicking and, you know, it's very, very hectic while almost all the most memorable shots of the werewolves are very still and observing from, pre, or like, for example, like going to the barn and mm. puts the headlights on in the car and just like just sitting there still eating the guy. It's so those are really like some of the most memorable imagery of, of them in the movie, I think. Absolutely. And the way that he chooses to capture them is really reliant on like the style in which he captures them. It's kind of like what you were just saying in terms of like wh which setting they're in. And I think that that's really interesting because sometimes maybe there's an over-reliance for a director to like find one way that really works at portraying a monster. And then they mm -hmm. kind of see that pop up period, uh, throughout the entire film. Whereas in this, there's lots of different levels to our sort of uh, understanding of what the werewolves truly look like. And I think mm -hmm. that that's really great, especially early on, because like you said, you see the silhouettes, you're more focused on their breathing, on um, sort of like the steam coming out of their mouths and things like that. But we don't really have a true understanding of what they look like early in the film. And that's really one of those things where it's like, you don't want to reveal everything too early in a horror movie, because then by mm -hmm. the end of it, you're like, well, I've seen the monster. I'm no longer engaged in this in like a uh, scared manner. And mm -hmm. so to see like just the silhouettes, but it's still being very unsettling. And then the closer we get to kind of moving into this claustrophobic environment, more and more of them is revealed, but also the way in which they're portrayed changes. So it almost mm -hmm. makes it seem like this is a new creature to a certain extent, uh, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you talk about uh, that. It's not seen that much of the meeting. It's funny when we talked about Crawl, we talked about how the beginning of the movie wasn't like the usual creature attack scene. Oh, yeah, Dog Hill definitely has sharks like that. But it's also really effective and also gives a good glimpses of the creature, but keeps it mysterious. Also, one of the things we talked about with Crawl was just like how there weren't a ton of moments of violence in the film, but every single one is very memorable, right? And because <laughs> uh -huh. you, yeah. and I think Dog Soldiers is similar in that sense, in that they spend just enough time developing every single squad mate and character in the film that when you have that one brutal death, there's more weight to it oh, yeah. in a way that. It, none of the characters feel expendable, even though to a certain extent they are like the one character, like he's the football guy. But the fact that you can even attribute that personality trait to him, it carries more weight. And mm -hmm. when the squad at one point references him to uh, Ryan, I believe they're like, that boy loved football more than any. Like that moment has some weight to it mm -hmm. other than just, oh, squatty X, squatty Y, they just <laughs> yeah. got killed. Like even if it's a small, seemingly insignificant thing, it's really interesting how Marshall is able to make characters that on the surface are expendable actually like they're impacted we're impacted the viewer when they are no longer there and that was something he also did in the descent right mm, there's that whole group of women and just that initial 10 minutes where we're establishing who they are their personalities their relationships when people start dying it hits a lot yeah. harder than just well the uh, the one with the accent is dead or the one that drinks too much is dead like it there's that camaraderie between them and you really feel that with the squaddies in this. Well, I think that speaks a lot to his casting. For example, he, he has uh, uh, Liam Cunningham as, as Ryan, and so that performance gets a lot through in so few lines. Like, for example, our first introduction to him is wanting uh, Cooper to kill the dog. And it's like the inst instant way to tell us this guy's a sociopath. <laughs> and, then, and then once he's in the cabin with them, he's almost because more, more of a monster than the werewolves, really. <laughs> it's funny because I was watching this, and at one point, you know, basically prefigured Jurassic World where the plan because oh, we want to capture the werewolves and laugh from them, but the, the military still wanted to capture them. <laughs> Jurassic World werewolves now. <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah, I think that's great you brought up the, uh, the casting. Again, a lot of these people are relatively unknown, and yet they all leave such a distinct mark on the film. Like, 
uh, Sean Pertwee, who plays uh, Sergeant Wells, like phenomenal at being the sort of the father figure to a lot yeah. of the younger squaddies mm-hmm. and just being as much of a bullshitter as they are and just kind of like the banter back and forth. And then, of course, Private Cooper, played by Kevin McKidd, who I guess Jason Stratham was supposed to be. <laughs> they were He was eyed as the mm-hmm. lead, but... I feel like he's was, I guess, I don't know how well known he was in 2002, but I feel like he would almost be like scene stealing in a way that nobody in this film yeah. really is to a certain degree. Like everybody has their moments and they're really strong, mm-hmm. but everybody is just low key enough that they're never sort of like completely distracting the scene, which really works when you're trying to establish a squad of people, a whole group of people mm-hmm. that you need to care about. Um, but yeah, the fantastic casting all the way around. I mean, Kevin McKidd, I don't think I've seen him in anything else, but he does such a good job of being the moral compass early in the film, right? Mm-hmm. When you have kind of Captain Ryan, like shoot the dog, yeah. obviously there's no better way to win an audience over and hating a specific person than have them literally be like, Hey, you need to kill this dog. Oh, yeah. uh, and then private Cooper saying no, essentially and attacking the guy. It's just like, Oh, I, this is a guy I can get behind no matter what. I, he seems like a pretty good dude. Well, obviously the standout is uh Darren Morphin of spoon. He's definitely like, mm. <laughs> He makes the biggest impression considering his uh his death the death scene. It's like if you're gonna go out fighting a werewolf, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Again, that comes back to Marshall really knowing how to blend gallows humor and action violence yeah. or gore, into that matter. Like his, it's not just that Spoon is like sh- uh, shouting one-liners at the werewolf, and we know that his fate, we know he's going to die. He's not the protagonist. He is another squatty, even if he lives longer than everybody else. And yet he goes out with so much personality. He's not stabbing it anymore. He's not throwing pots and pans and dishes at it. He's literally boxing a werewolf. (laughs) You know it's not going to end well. You know that he's going to get killed. And yet it's such a memorable death Mm -hmm. in a way that, like you said, that's one of the biggest uh, milestones of the entire film. And it's something that I remember distinctly, even if I hadn't watched this film in a long time. Um, And yeah, man, I really hope Marshall is able to inject more personality into his uh, secondary characters like he used to in Dog Soldiers and the Descent because this is such a fantastic example of him doing that. Well, I think every single death is really impactful. Yeah, for example, uh, the scene in the car where it almost has like a little Jurassic Park influence with the breath. That was yes. like a clever girl moment. And they opened the, mm-hmm. opened the door and the, the gore just like pulled out like a waterfall. I always remember that scene. <laughs> and that's like, so every character really gets uh, their, uh, their moment with both during the movie and with their death. That death in particular too, he he's able to make that almost like a one-two punch because you have that moment where he realizes the werewolf is there and whatnot, and then the camera pulls back, we get that exterior shot of the blood squirting on the windshield. Mm-hmm. But then like you said, when they open it again, you see he's been decapitated, there's blood gushing out of the back of the van. And so his ability to not sort of like oversell one singular death and he's able to stretch it into two moments mm-hmm. that are really effective and complement one another, is him making again making the most out mm-hmm. of his limited budget and i'm sure this was a very limited shoot just obviously because of the budget <laughs> but i mean yeah like you had said all of the deaths are so well earned and they're another display in different facets of his sort of uh, handling of gore mm-hmm. and carnage in a way that again it never becomes super fantastical right it's yeah, very kind of very just gritty. like very very gritty but it feels grounded for a movie that's about magical creatures that don't exist. So that's a really something that I think is very remarkable about this movie in that it never feels too fantastical and yet it's very gritty and grounded and grotesque. <laughs> I think there's one failing with the way well, I handled char- he handled the character with Megan I think he was pretty underwritten, which I definitely think he redeems himself with the with the descent, where he has this entire cast of fantastic fantastically written uh women characters. And I, it's funny that there's there's a scene in the Dog Soldiers where all the guys are together, which is almost like a mirror of the scene in the Descent, where all the all the ladies are on the porch together. So, mm. so that definitely feels like he wanted to give uh, women a similar type of teen movie, and that he did with Dog Soldiers, <laughs> like a because uh, how he handled her, I thought was really uh, underwritten. That he definitely redeemed himself with the Descent. That's a fantastic observation, yeah. And in thinking about those two films, they are very similar in some regards, And but yet, like you said, he's really kind of like picking up the pieces that he necessarily didn't put together as best he could have in Dog Soldiers. And yeah, that's a really fantastic comparison to those two films. And it shows 
real growth too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Especially with a male writing female characters and especially a whole group of them. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he's really able to capture camaraderie in those two films in a way that there's familiarity, there's sort of playful banter and fun, but then there's also an interesting conflict between them and mm-hmm. how that situation really tests those relationships and pushes them to the breaking point. Um, but facing off against supernatural uh, creatures, whether above or underground, definitely probably has a tendency to do that to people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, I definitely like that in Dog Soldiers, uh, the team definitely had a good, great camaraderie. And even when there was conflict, it felt very natural. So that's definitely something he really excelled out in terms of the writing and script and performances. He really nailed that, that tension, but also as a tense, tense friendship, I would say. And I think it's really interesting, again, coming back to how good the movie looks in terms of the practical effects and whatnot for how limited the budget was. But I really had a great appreciation for his capturing like military, um, sort of like putting us in the authenticity of the military mm-hmm. and these kind of movements and the ways in which the squad interacts on a tactical level. He really sells that mm-hmm. in a way that, I mean, how many movies have we seen that have been low budget that have the military and it looks like probably you or I running around with guns or something, like people that have no idea what they're doing. And yet in this movie, everybody moves in a way mm-hmm. and communicates in a way that feels so authentic that, again, the beginning of the movie feels like you're watching an action war movie. Mm-hmm. And then his ability to sort of show that these characters feel like real people, real soldiers, and then moving into obviously the uh, the heightened fantasy of fighting off a werewolf siege, it really does a fantastic job of selling a premise that some people might be like, well, it's just another monster movie, but it really isn't. It feels very well-rounded in a way that I think it doesn't get nearly enough credit for. What's well, funny because he actually get, gets a good gag out of that, whereas every, was everyone being so tactical and they have the, the order, the three-round burst and control, control your ammunition, and everyone just starts shooting wildly <laughs> at, the, at the first siege attempt, which mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's a good uh, blend of accident and, and uh, that the dark humor from the accent definitely and I th- now that I now that you said that I was just thinking like how they moved so tactically and with purpose early on and then the one the first person that gets killed is because he runs into a, a, a tree stump and impales himself <laughs> on it like <laughs> which I don't it, gotta keep your eyes open and head on a swivel I guess but I just love the again like his blending of Gallo's humor it complements both the gore and it also complements just the personalities of people because you have at the beginning, Sergeant Wells, when they're all around the fire, he's telling that story about his buddy, Eddie, that gets gets a tattoo the night before they ship off to war. And then the first day at war, steps on a landmine, blows up. All they can find is his skin with that <laughs> tattoo on it, perfectly pristine. Mm-hmm. And then one of the other squaddies goes into like some shitty bar, uh, joke about walking into a bar or something. <laughs> and there's just such an organic fluidity between their busting each other's balls, having a serious moment that it really sells these relationships as genuine in a way that it could just be soldiers swearing at each other which wouldn't derive any personality out of anybody or make anybody a standout well i think he does a good job at set up and pay off using that too for example beginning he had the scene with the, the giving spoon the watts and they come to the mm. play at the end when they find the watts among all the bodies and they realize what happened so they uh he does a good job throughout the, the, with the silver uh letter opener that comes back into play so that's really, that's kind of clunkily handled in the beginning. It's like, oh, you're, you're silver, you're, this is silver, don't lose it. So I was like, that was a bit clunky. But overall, I think he does a good job setting up, uh, setting up and paying off throughout the movie. Definitely, and I think that to come back to sort of like the, uh, the pyramid structure of the film, something that I really love is it spends so much time establishing that these guys are like professionals. Even if they're pro- some of them are privates, they still are very aware of how to handle a situation like this. And then... It's almost as if they're aware, like the viewer is aware of the passage of time where they start running out of bullets. They start running out of flash grenades to the point where they're using like pots and pans. They're using boiling water. Mm-hmm. They're using swords, uh, like Celtic swords from back in the day, from medieval days and stuff. And I just love how the film really has this kind of like bare knuckle brawl mm-hmm. uh, conclusion that it makes the action just like right in your face and capitalizing on that. And I mean, I'm trying to think of like how many werewolf movies. It's like, yeah, the punchline is, is that they use a silver bullet. Yeah, he uses the silver knife at the end of the movie. But I think that there's so much time portraying a werewolf movie in a way that is very unconventional. Mm-hmm. 
that I almost don't care that it ends sort of like on a somewhat familiar note because he spends so much time doing things that are very unconventional for a werewolf movie. I think that scene with the boiling water definitely is a good, uh, we'll find a best example of how desperate, like there's always a, a sense of desperation, even though it's mm-hmm. very action oriented. They, they almost feel very hopeless, like they're using boiling water to, to run out of ammo. There's a lot of intensity in that regard. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess I'm curious for you, sort of what is the core element? I mean, we've talked about a lot of the different influences that Marshall has and the different ways in which he's able to sort of subvert the genre tropes, but also insert his own. I'm curious though, like an element of Dog Soldiers for you that really separates it from other sort of lycanthrope films. And definitely acting focus. Because I just started, like I said, I just started a bunch of werewolf movies. And so many of them play out like typical monster movies or uh, like cursed person movies that they're doing with the curse. <laughs> right. So making a full-on action movie definitely still makes it really unique. But like, not many movies I've seen tackle that like typical team versus supernatural creatures. Because I don't know if you ever saw Scarecrows. That's a, that's a movie that uh, that does something similar, but also it's also very horror horror in terms of being so outmatched by the creatures. But in terms of werewolf movies, it's still pretty rare. That's such an action-focused movie that's still horror. Like, Underworld has a werewolf, but it's not a horror movie, really. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a great way to uh, to look at Dog Soldiers, too, that lens of how Dog Soldiers does have a lot of horror elements in it, obviously, and how that movie, while it is action-focused, it never really loses that horror identity in a way that I think he does a great job of, again, of, like, his use of space and capturing the mm-hmm. contrast between what's going on outside the cottage and what's going on inside the cottage. And I mean, again, like as we transition from the rooms to the hallways to that closet at the very end to literally the basement, I mean, his use of space in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, being a siege film, it is essentially a single location movie. I mean, they go to the barn or whatever and they're out in the woods for the beginning of the film, but it is contained to that cottage and his ability to make that space never feel redundant or at least it never you never really get tired of it right yeah it kind of avoids that because he's able to convey that space in a lot of different ways you kind of you have the front door the bat it sounds so simplistic when i say it but he really does make each location in the house have a moment that is memorable tied to it right like the bed like the bedroom the bedroom is probably the biggest one because you have the you have the gag with the with the intestines and then the werewolf coming twice and that so he really uses that space really well absolutely yeah i mean you have the the, the uh intestine or bandage tug of war at the front door mm-hmm. they're trying to board up the back door and then while the arm comes through the mail slot and he starts hammering the hand mm-hmm. and then goes back to hammering the door um and then yeah i mean like we, uh, you had just said the upstairs room then it kind of goes between triage room and then another breach point for mm. the werewolves and getting to see them kind of tower over Wells as he's got his guts all super glued together. I mean, that is a really fantastic sort of, again, use of space. And I don't know, I feel like a lot of times you get single location movies and it's like, well, they're kind of just in this one space, but there's nothing remarkable about mm. it. It kind of just feels, it feels unremarkable. And Marshall's ability to make that space feel very unique based on the moments that are tied to each of them. I mean, he does that in The Descent too. Mm. How many, it's a movie that's about being underground in tight spaces in the dark. And yet I feel that every single section has something interesting tied to it that keeps it very sort of fresh. It doesn't feel like you're kind of like squinting the whole movie, like what the hell's going on? They're just more in the dark running around by some rocks. I can, I can still remember each very individual parts of that case from that movie. He, he does a really good job throughout both films of making each section of the of the location feel very distinct speaks to his his prowess with geography that's always carried through yeah and that's why i hope i mean him moving forwards again i can't speak to the reckoning but i really hope he comes back to a smaller scale story because obviously the larger a movie gets whether it be the setting or just the scope you're going to lose a lot of that sort of texture when exploring a geography right i didn't see centurion but um i could imagine if that's a lot of like large-scale battle scenes that it's not going to have the same close quarters texture, obviously, of something like Dog Soldiers or something like The Descent or even Doomsday to a certain extent, I guess. Well, Saturia actually does go back to that. That book. It starts out, there are a few battles, but it really, the most movie, whole movie, so most of the movie is a chase movie. So they're, they're, they're really, a few guys being hunted. 
So he did, he also makes really good use of the environment in that movie. You know, he almost kind of impl- uh, transplants that same sense of geography and uh, distinctive locations to the natural landscapes. Centurion, and that movie's only ten million dollar budget, but it, lo- it looks wow. so much more expensive. So he, like, he did a really, really good job with that. It sounds like I need to add that to my watch list. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. And I think that for him in his future, I really do hope. I mean, with The Reckoning, I'm interested because I haven't seen it. Is he able to capture that same sense of geography or does it feel like he's sort of moving away from that sort of texture that he's able to capture? For about one five minute scene, he does. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's one really there's one really standout scene where you have some guys in plague masks Brick, like she gets attacked in her house, and that one scene almost feels like classic Neil Marshall. This one, she has to go up into the attic and he stabs through the floor. It's all like, oh man, it's, it's almost like, oh, it's gonna be a whole movie being hunted by plague mask guys. That I'd want to see that Neil Marshall movie, but then it doesn't become that. And then so yeah, so he, like the whole rest of the movie, it's really like a slog. So I, so but there's, there's bits and pieces of there, what you'd want to see from Neil Marshall movie. Some crazy, some crazy gore too, but very scary. Maybe he's headed back in the right direction then after Hellboy because Hellboy, like the one, I watched that movie I think once probably. Uh, when did that even come out? Two years ago? Something like that, probably. yeah. Yeah, something like that. But like watching that, I was so much, I enjoyed that he was kind of like relishing in the monster creation, the monster design. But then every other aspect of that movie is just such a miss for me. And especially like, I would assume because it's obviously an established IP and it's got more producers and things involved that he was not able to sort of like stick to his uh, comedic sensibilities because the comedy in that movie does not work at all. It does not resemble any of the humor that he's had in his previous movies in a way that was uh, very disappointing. I read it was a very troubled production compared to his other stuff, so that's probably why. But the reckoning should have been a, hopefully should have been a comeback and it wasn't. So I, I, I don't know. Hopefully his next movies will be more aligned with his first four movies. That's that's a really good streak. Absolutely. Right out the gate, too. Again, like Dog Soldiers being the blueprint, obviously, for like moving right into the descent. And I think that and to a certain extent, like Doomsday, um, I really just love, again, his ability to take so many different genres and meld them into something that it is a smorgasbord, but it doesn't feel kind of just like thrown together. His ability to like blend everything together makes for a movie that is real. I mean, I rewatched The Descent not a couple days ago in prep of talking to you and obviously Dog Soldiers. That movie is just like you blink and that movie is over because of how well paced mm-hmm. it is, of how his dedication to the horror elements, to the tension, to getting the camaraderie right. And Dog Soldiers as well. I mean, that movie is... I think an hour and 45 minutes, but the ways in which he's able to really establish the world, put us into these characters' boots to a certain extent, and then kind of get into this creature carnage that doesn't let up for like the last 45 minutes of the movie is really, really phenomenal. Clay, did you see the movie Howl, which is uh, Werewolves on a Train? Yes, I did see that. (laughs) Compared to Dogs, there's like similar concept of seeds, single location seeds and werewolves, but it's night and day compared to Dog Soldiers. But, but funny because uh, Song Pertry also has a small role in that movie too. He's a, he's a, he's he's a, he's a train driver. And when you see a movie do something similar <laughs> compared to how Dog Soldiers does it, it really uh, highlights how well Dog Soldiers is constructed. Yeah, and it shows that you have to give your actors interesting things to say and funny things to say. <laughs> Just because you're going to pluck a guy from one werewolf classic into this new werewolf film, it's not going to necessarily be the same thing. And uh, from what I remember, like none of the characters have that sort of sense of camaraderie mm-hmm. that even comes close to either of the two films we've mentioned, The Descent or Dog Soldiers. Um, and it really shows, again, just, I, I don't know, every time I've mentioned this movie and somebody's like, well, it's like a mo- just another monster movie. It's like, well, it's a lot more than that because I really don't think you can compare Dog Soldiers to another werewolf movie in terms of what it sets out to do. And that's not to say like there aren't other good werewolf movies, of course, but it's just this idea that it feels as if this movie hit every, it like checked every single box for me that it could possibly need to, whether it be squad banter, the carnage, the practical effects, mm. which are fantastic. And his ability and like you have said, his handling of geography, I think is really something remarkable in taking an unremarkable space and making it memorable. I mean, how many movies have we seen characters make a break for a vehicle and then 
not only are they like doing the gasoline trail to it, but the, the match won't match. And then you have Sergeant Wells come out with the Molotov and mm -hmm. set it off and explode. Like he's able to put a spin on everything that makes an unremarkable moment or a moment you've seen before kind of just pop in a way that it normally wouldn't. I, I think the best successor is probably Overlord in terms of having to act in horror, draw banter, Absolutely. the creatures. Definitely almost like the best successor to that vibe mm. recently. That's a movie that does not get enough love, and I absolutely adored that movie in terms of just its ability, like you said, to blend all these different things together and to not, it's almost, it doesn't lean too far into any one of its influences, which is key, right? Because if you're going to kind of just lean into one influence more than the other, like why almost even have that other influence? Mm -hmm. And so to see the ways in which they're able to replicate sort of the squad banter, the horror moments, the action moment, like that movie has some really stellar sound design, I think, that mm -hmm. makes those sort of simplistic shootouts really pop in oh, a way yeah. that I remember sitting in the theater, like blown away by these moments that you've kind of seen before, but because of the sound design and like whether it's the way the weapons pop and crack and whatnot, it just, it adds a heightened level to everything. And I think that Dog Soldiers has something similar to that in terms of just, it's got, a, there's a lot of scenes of guys just like shooting out windows that you can't see what they're shooting at and whatnot, but the ways in which it's portrayed, whether it be sort of just the grainy portrayal of everything or kind of, there's this thing where you can see a lot of this sort of steam coming off of the guns in the moonlight and whatnot. And I think that that adds a lot of personality to every moment of action. Yeah, definitely. But uh, is there any other particular moment that really stands out to you of dog soldiers that I kind of uh, skipped over? De definitely ending with uh, the final confrontation is a good circle back to their, uh, between Cooper and Ryan. But it opened with them and it closed with them and it's, it's a really good uh, final full circle payoff by the end. Absolutely, yeah. That's a crazy good, uh, just kind of like roundabout way to round out the film. And I mean, that has a, such a gnarly moment too when he's got the sword stuck through him <laughs> uh, and then he basically sticks it in Cooper's mouth and you can almost hear it scratching against his teeth. Sounded I completely <laughs> forgot that moment. And that moment made my skin crawl to the degree that I was not prepared for. Yeah, another good example of the sound design, like you said. But uh, yeah, this movie really... In revisiting Neil Marshall's earlier films, this is one of those movies that I'm like, he's just got to go back to basics, right? Mm -hmm. You have so many directors that start out so strong. And I mean, I haven't seen Centurion, but it sounds like he was on a four film run right mm -hmm. out the gate and then kind of dabbled in TV. And he hasn't had the best return to feature films, but it sounds like his most recent film had some inklings of the original Neil Marshall we all knew and mm -hmm. loved, loved. And so I'm... I'm optimistic, I think, for his future, but he's definitely one of those guys that in revisiting his previous films, you just get excited for the future and hope <laughs> yes, yes. that he revisits those elements. Definitely. So I think if you ever seen any of Eric Red's films or Richard Franklin's, he definitely has that similar vibe, genre film vibe. And you think by, I was hopefully by now, he would be in a better place career-wise, but yeah, I still have hope for him returning to that, that fourth film uh, success. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I guess... Before I let you go, if you were to recommend like two or three other werewolf movies that really, because you said you just went on this tear of werewolf movies uh, before uh, we recorded, I'm curious, like, what would you recommend to people? Obviously, Dog Soldiers, but what else really stands out to you? Because it's one of those genres that I feel can be pretty overcrowded just in terms of people that are like, well, I'm just going to have some guys with fur on and they can run around and bite people. But really, there's some really stellar standouts. So I'm curious what uh, what you've really taken to. Uh, one of the recent one I saw last year called Were, W-E-R, from 2013, which is almost, I don't know if you've ever seen Afflicted, which was like found footage vampire movie. And it's like that take, but for werewolves, so where it's kind of grounded in true crime and uh, realistic uh, investigations and uh, such. And, and it was, there's still managed to get have some good action scenes and, and uh, werewolf phenology, modernize it in certain ways. That makes it interesting kind of refreshes it for, for a modern age compared to like takes bits of the old myth that makes it modern. That's it. that's one I, I found really impressive and under seen. And then I just saw the howling, we revisited it and that, that's always a classic. And then Bad Moon, of course, is always a kind of bedding, also unappreciated from the 90s. One of my favorite werewolf designs in uh, Bad Moon. I just watched Bad Moon for the first time a couple of months ago, and I loved, for people that don't know, it. what for me really sets that apart is change, making the protagonist the family dog. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an interesting narrative spin on just sort of like we've been talking about, sort of like people's 
sort of, uh, I don't want to say just like kind of the lame continuation of the werewolf mythology or something like that. Sort of just very tame. It's by the book. Somebody's cursed. We've got the fighting, uh, trying to fight the urge to turn and whatnot. But by making the protagonist a family dog, it gives it a whole nother dynamic where it's really these two sort of this like alpha males Mm -hmm. fighting for dominance, which gives the movie a really interesting narrative twist that, um, I was, that blew me away really in terms of just, I was prepared for another average werewolf movie. And yet this sort of interesting, unique approach to the narrative really, uh, really set that apart for me. Yeah, that definitely, I read it in the book, it's hundred percent from the dog's perspective. So I, mm. I kind of wish the movie went further into that. Cause I thought the comedy drama was just kind of mediocre at best, but yeah, yeah that that's setting up as a standout between the family protector and the predator, alpha male predator coming in interesting shift in dynamic absolutely yeah that, that would have been terrific but i don't know i don't know how on board audiences would have been for 100 uh, percent the dog perspective but i think that that would have been like you'd said it that is the stronger element and every time it kind of deviates from that unique element to the family which is very just kind of like whatever it's just very generic uh, i think I, that definitely like got on my nerves a little bit especially towards the end but I mean, that, that movie does that movie does have the best opening ever with uh it's like predator but with a werewolf that's like so definitely recommend bad moon absolutely yeah that's one of those uh openings that you won't forget soon uh after seeing but yeah i'm gonna add some of these others to my list i haven't seen were uh and the howling is of course that's a joe dante uh a joe dante classic mm-hmm. so that's definitely one that uh i will be revisiting shortly but thanks man yeah this was a blast i uh, i enjoyed getting to chat about dog soldiers with you a movie that i think i wish it was uh, on a streaming service site, everybody could go out and check it out. But uh, definitely, if you're able to try to track down a copy of Dog Soldiers, because its blending of action and horror and gallows humor is really uh, it's, there's nothing else like it, and it's one that I don't think get, quite gets its due as much as it should. Definitely agreed. There. Hope to have you on again in the future. Same here. It was a great time. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service, and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.